Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. I hope all of you are doing great, regardless of uh, wherever you live in the world. Hard to believe um, in four days from now it's going to be a Christmas. Um, I don't know where all the time has gone. For some reason, I just feel that this, uh, pr- this uh, particular December in more recent years has uh, moved faster than other ones. I'm not sure why, but is it fair to say that maybe the older we get, the faster time itself goes by? I think the answer to that question is a 100% uh, definitive yes answer, but, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't be complaining. I mean, yes, we probably ought to be reminded of the fact that, um, that Christmas is more than just opening gifts on uh, Christmas Day, but just knowing that it'll be here before we know it, on one hand, is exciting, and maybe for others, uh, it's a little um, nerve-wracking knowing, okay, knowing whether or not, okay, did I get all of my uh, shopping done? Have I uh, met everything on the agenda list leading up to uh, Christmas Day? Am I going to meet the agenda list? Um, in other words, am I going to meet all the uh, the uh, criteria objectives in, uh, prep- in preparing for what uh, lies ahead on the official day of celebration? So I think we're all in that um, we're all in that category, uh, big and small, but uh, it's up to us as, like anything else in life, it's up to us as individuals as to how uh, well organized we um, we are. I know sometimes, you know, no matter how good our organization skills can be, sometimes um, other things do come up at the last minute that uh, throw us for uh, some curveballs. I don't know why I say all this, but you know, I I try to be as organized as possible, but sometimes even I myself have, um, how do I say it, have, you know, flaw or shortcomings. But hey, if we do make every effort to be organized and to stay on top of things, then um, then we can definitely say that we have gone beyond uh, 101 expectations. Well, what I do know is that... Um, Based upon what I'm uh, seeing uh, result-wise, I didn't expect to get to this uh, number, and I'm not flaunting it by no means, but I'm I'm very pleased, as I've said uh, from the last couple of uh, podcast uh, segment episodes that I've been on the air, that the numbers continue to go up, and it's because you all are very um, interested and what I have to share with you all, but at the same time, many of you all are getting the word out to other people as well. And I want to thank you for uh, doing that. A lot of work goes into these uh, podcasts, knowing what's uh, necessary to talk about and how to condense information. I've said before, I'd say it again, it is a work of art, but it's a work of art that's well worth uh, investing But I also know that there are plenty of other people out there podcasting, doing the same thing that I'm doing, and and in some instances, they might be doing things differently than I I do, and they probably have some other unique talents that I don't have, but that's okay. When it comes to podcasting, I think we all um, do the best that we can, and whatever we present to our audiences, as long as it's relevant, useful, and it's something that is um, worth sharing and learning about so that 
you know, mistakes don't get repeated again in the future. As long as those messages can get conveyed in a construct in a constructive manner, then at least we're all going somewhere. And I say that not to get political, but with all that's going on in the world today, we never really know what to expect anymore. But what I do know is that um, taking on these um, stories, whether it's about a person or about a, a battle or a shipwreck, they all, all of these um, topics have a story to tell. And, and taking the time to, to do it all right, to basically do it all right in the proper uh, manner um, is a big deal because... Um, if I don't take the time to do it right, then some of you might say, why are you even on here, Kirk? I mean, if you don't take the time to do it right, then how are you going to uh, bring your audience um, back for more? Not just for the series that you're doing, but for other uh, series down the road. So uh, the way I have to see this, it's like playing football. You've got three phases to the game, offense, defense, and special teams. You just have to keep expanding the playbook. And that's what I feel that I've been able to do with you guys, many of you all. No matter how long you've been with me, uh, you all keep coming back. So I appreciate that 100% all the way through. So uh, I think it's fair to say that we probably better get the show moving on the road in regards to where we're going to be going in this next uh, podcast segment episode to uh, M. William Phelps's book, Nathan Hale, The Life and Death of America's First Spy. Uh, we will learn in this uh, episode um, whether or not Nathan graduated from Yale College with um, high honors. We will we will learn a, a bit more about Benjamin Talmadge, whom was um, a classmate of Nathan's at Yale, but yet he was not in the uh, Linonia Society. We will also learn about a journey that Nathan takes um, shortly after he graduates from Yale College and what this uh, journey um, encompasses. Uh, it'll be a journey um, in one of the other colonies that uh, borders Massachusetts. So I think it's fair to say we better get this show on the road before uh, time itself slips away. But hang tight for just a moment. I've said it before, I'd say it again here real quick, uh, nothing beats having a uh, nice glass of um, warm tea, uh, especially on a cool night. But then again, I think it's fair to say you could drink tea any time of the year, uh, regardless of the season, uh, even if it's warm. And of course, I have to remind myself again that uh, just recently, um, back on the 16th, uh, last Saturday, it marked the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party. Um incident um, where just over 240 uh, chests of tea were thrown into the um, into Boston Harbor and um, you know it is hard to believe that it's been 250 years but still an event that uh, truly um, raised um, the how do you call it an event that truly fueled the fires even more so and for those of you who are new to my podcast uh, series, uh, book topic series, uh, check out a podcast that I did um, about um, two years ago. I, wa I want to say it was uh, Tempest in the Teapot, How the Boston Tea Party Sparked a Revolution by, um, oh, what's his face? He's written uh, by Harlow Giles Unger. He's written uh, several uh, great books. Uh, but if you, any of you who are new to my podcast series and have not uh, had a chance to 
listen to uh, the series on American Tempest, how the Boston Tea Party sparked a revolution. I strongly recommend that you all check that out. So anyways, let's get prepared for our first uh, leadoff question for this uh, podcast segment topic episode. Did Nathan Hale graduate from Yale College in 1773? Yes. As a matter of fact, folks, he graduated about three months before the uh, infamous Boston Tea Party incident took place. So he graduated with high distinctive honors, being, you know, first class. Well, for someone who was in the uh, Lenonian Society and took his studies very seriously and did everything there was to contribute in, in the right direction, then someone like him definitely deserves to uh, graduate with high distinctive honors. Now, just because you graduate at the bottom, it doesn't mean you squandered away everything. But it's probably fair to say that um, there were probably fewer than, say, no more than maybe 50 people in Nathan's class. We do have to be reminded of the fact that in in uh, 18th century um, college uh, campuses, there are only nine colleges, and of course William and Mary is the only one in the southern colonies uh, for most of the 18th century, uh, but uh, the other eight colleges being up north, we do have to be reminded of the fact that uh, college campuses back then did not have po- uh, student population sizes of, say, 10,000 or more, for example. That just wasn't you know, possible back then, largely in part because as we all know, very few families could afford to send their uh, children to college. So after graduating from Yale in 1773, um, Nathan Hale was presented with two choices. Two choices, folks. Number one, he could work as a schoolmaster in a place called uh, Moodus, uh, Connecticut. And I will um, tell you all more about where Moodus is located. Um the other one was uh, for him to come home to back home to Coventry and work with his father and siblings on the uh, farm. So, you know, you got two choices, and they prob- it's probably fair to say that both, pardon me, options have their pros and their cons. But at the same time, Nathan also knows that he probably doesn't have the luxury of, say, waiting a month or, say, three to four weeks to decide what it is he really wants to do, but he does. He will have to make a decision here soon. Now, as for um, his, non, uh, his friend whom was, in, whom was not part of the uh, Lenonian Society, being Benjamin Talmadge, Benjamin Talmadge graduated um, in the same year with Nathan Hale in 1773. Talmadge was born on February 25th of 1754, in Setauket, Long Island. And uh, we did learn from the previous podcast episode that both um, Nathan Hale and Benjamin Talmadge were each responsible for elevating the Lenonian Library with a vast array of book collections. So the two of them really um, expanded the library. In other words, they, you know, Yes, they may not have had a degree in library science like there is today, but they each possessed enough knowledge and enough uh, enough of an understanding that in order for young men like them to be able to be successful in this world, they need to have uh, a broad diversity of uh, topics. They need to have a broad diversity 
not just so much of the topics themselves, but a broad, a broader understanding of how to go about debating topics that were not only important for their time, but in the, in, but yet at the same time, some topics that were sensitive for their time, but required um, healthy discussions about. Hang tight for just a moment. <coughs> Pardon me. So yes, uh, Nathan Hale and Benjamin Talmadge are responsible for elevating the, the Lenonian Library with this vast array of book collections. Um, after finishing at Yale, Benjamin Talmadge went into the teaching profession where he taught in a place uh, known as Weathersfield, Connecticut. And uh, for any of you who are curious to know where Weathersfield is, it is located in uh, western uh, Connecticut, um, somewhere not too far from the outskirts of, uh, of uh, Hartford, Connecticut's uh, present-day capital. So, like Talmadge, uh, ultimately, well, maybe I better hold off on this because if I say it now, then there may not be any point in my uh, repeating uh, myself here later on. So, I will um, mention to you all before it's before I forget and before it's too late, the ultimate decision that Nathan himself makes. But uh, Benjamin Talmadge does go into um, the education uh, profession. Now, uh, were Benjamin Talmadge and Nathan Hale incredibly close to one another? Now, the answer is yes. From the time they were each at Yale, both men cared deeply for one another, and after college, they wrote regularly looking after each other. I think it's wonderful. You know, sometimes it's so easy for people to go their own ways and then all of a sudden forget about each other. You know, it does happen, um, but then... It's like, well, if you found out tomorrow that, say, John Smith passed away and you were really good friends with him, and yet you hadn't seen him in, say, five or seven years, but knowing that he passed away, yeah, it'll hit you hard because, for one, you have good memories of him, and two, it's like, my gosh, I could have done a better job of reaching out to him. You know, it's like that old saying, there's a thing called life, and, you know, life does get in the way sometimes, but we as individuals do need to do whatever it takes to stay in touch with those whom are, um, whom are dear to us. And, uh, and I'm not, uh, flaunting anything here, but, uh, one thing that I have, uh, made it a priority of doing, um, and I, and even some of my friends from college have always thanked me for being the one to, uh, keep our, to keep the group together or just to, you know, stay in touch. But I have made it a priority to keep in touch with as many of my friends from, uh, college whom I had, uh, wonderful friendships with and just, you know, really enjoyed being, uh, being around because they were really, um, dear people. So usually it takes about, say, one or two people who really know how to, um, keep in touch with those whom are dear to them. And so I think for Nathan Hale and Benjamin Talmadge, not only are they good friends to one another, but they all it might be fair to say that the two of them also have a strong knack for keeping in touch with other people whom they went to school with, whom um, they considered um, dear friends. Now, as for Weathersfield, uh, Connecticut, it is where... Um, Benjamin Talmadge would go on to teach, and it was a short ride on horseback from Hartford. And nearby the school uh, was a large cove um, where ships of where ships often unloaded their goods and docked. 
I know this might that might not seem like much, but we do have to remember, folks, that uh, that landscapes change over time, and it is fair to say that whatever landscapes were present three hundred some years ago, or say between two hundred and two hundred and fifty years ago, are not the same landscapes that we see um, that we see today. Uh, many of times, I um, often remind myself that. You know, thank heavens there are um, groups of people out there who um, make their cases known that they are not for, um, that they are not, I'm not trying to knock on super, um, I'm not trying to give super centers a bad name, uh, but there, but thankfully there are uh, organizations who do take a stand and protest um, opposition behind um, a super center station being built. In other words, if they know that a particular battle from a particular war was fought and they want to see to it that the acreage gets preserved or the or the the land itself then yes take a stand and not just take a stand on that but if there are estates there uh one of the best examples um not to get off track but one of the best examples was poplar forest uh thomas jefferson's getaway home back in the late 70s early 80s um they were uh, close to uh, demolishing Poplar Forest, but the residents of Bedford County came together and prevented uh, the demolition of Jefferson's estate. And so um, with enough signatures and enough uh, you know, petitions, enough uh, people coming together to be united, Poplar Forest was saved. And um, my wife and I have been there. Um, the last time we were there was probably about 11 years ago. But it's uh, but visiting Thomas Jefferson's getaway um, estate uh, is very well worth the visit. Even after he died in 1826, uh, he gave it to his grandson Francis Epps, whom did uh, sell the estate. He sold the estate a few years afterwards, but um, it was in private hands for a number of years um, up until the the late 1970s and into the start of the early 80s. So. Uh, the bottom line is that, yes, the landscapes do change over time, but what's more important is how people can band together to uh, preserve um, landscapes so that, um, that, so that the landscapes, for one, don't um, lose their, um, their present um, status in terms of the appearance that they're in, but two, if there is something of historical significance along that land, then preserve it as all preserve it in every way possible so that future generations can understand the importance behind why a battle took place or or the importance behind why an, an estate may have um, existed at uh, one particular time. So um, Hartford, what I found interesting about um, Hartford, um, given that it was nearby uh, Weathersfield where Benjamin Talmadge uh, taught, Hartford comprised of many uh, well-to-do families whom would ultimately send their children to Benjamin Talmadge himself, whose primary duty centered around preparing them all for college. Weathersfield um, is home, I learned that Weathersfield, Connecticut, was home to some um, other unique um, people whom would eventually go on to have roles with, um, in, um, being at the first continent, being at the uh, first and second continental congresses, and in the case of one particular individual um, serving as a, a close confidant to George Washington, 
So um, the first individual was Silas Dean, whom was America's first foreign diplomat. Jeremiah Wadsworth, whom, whom was a member of the Connecticut State Legislature and uh, an eventual close confidant to um, a soon-to-be General George Washington. Connections are important, and even if you were teaching somewhere like Benjamin Talmadge, the students that he is teaching, yes, they are coming from uh, well-to-do families, and not just from well-to-do families, but you never know whom these uh, students are also related to in terms of uh, extended uh, family network. Was it common for someone of Nathan's um, level to have pursued areas from farming, law, including clergy? Yes, it was common, but those particular fields that I just mentioned uh, did not interest Nathan. So in other words, okay, if, if your father, in the case uh, with being with Nathan, uh, his dad, Richard Hale, being in the ministry profession, yes, Richard would have wanted him, his son, to have entered the profession, but Richard also realizes that, you know, maybe I can't force um, the younger generation, being that of my son, to go down the same path that I did, but I also want to see him be successful and embark on a career that will make him happy but it will also be productive and one that will, you know, see him use the talents that he has demonstrated, but also, um, you know, make something of himself as well. That's what, you know, we all want even in today's time. So uh, for Nathan Hale, um, yes, the, um, the, the professions of farming, law, and clergy didn't um, have, it didn't interest him, but he had a real passion for traveling to meeting new people whom could value his presence and admire everything he represented. So in other words, Nathan Hale is probably going to be the type of person who wants to go from point A to point B, meet new people, establish new connections, but know that, okay, if I meet new people and establish new connections anywhere I go in life, it will be because of those various connections. Hey, I mean, you can't be any more positive than that. Hang tight for a moment. <clears throat> One ambition or goal which Nathan Hale sought after uh, finishing at Yale aimed to go about educating females within a colonial society. So in other words, Nathan wants to do something that has not really been... Um, a revolutionary uh, measure for its time. He wants to, he believes that women, young women, have every means to um, attain an education in the same way that young boys do. Now, um, England has, you know, forbidden all women from attending school. What does that tell you right there? Now, uh, the majority of schools for uh, females in New England uh, focused upon common household duties, such as uh, sewing to stitch making, and probably um, learning how to, you know, do laundry, uh, learning how to um, do, you know, it, you know, cooking as well, too, uh, learning how to do all of the um, most basic 101 essentials that a woman would need to do via running a household. But somehow Nathan believes that women are more capable 
of are capable of doing more than just all that 101 stuff. I wonder if his mother hadn't died, uh, being uh, Elizabeth Strong Hale, she probably would have uh, shared Nathan's uh, views on this. As a matter of fact, she probably would have encouraged him to um, to try to expand the um, the to go beyond these uh, limitations, uh, go beyond the horizon of what already exists. So maybe Nathan is trying to um, he's trying to do something that few that previous generations before just never even thought of um, opening the door to. But given that um, by the time Nathan has graduated from college and revolution is in the air, folks, maybe Nathan knows that within a short period of time or somewhere down the road, he might live long enough to see uh, women um, do more than just the basic 101 stuff around the house. Uh, where did Nathan journey to shortly after graduating from Yale? This is very important here because this will um, help us get more of an understanding of where Nathan wants to go um, career-wise. He went north to uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where an uncle named Samuel Hale resided. So it's fair to say that uh, Nathan's uncle Samuel and his father Richard are uh, brothers. Samuel Hale just so happens to be a schoolmaster, folks. He, he has been a schoolmaster for um, decades. Portsmouth, New Hampshire. If any of you aren't familiar with where Portsmouth, New Hampshire is, uh, it's located in the, uh, south, in the southeasternmost part of New Hampshire. It's in about an hour north of Boston, uh, but it's right on the ocean. And um, it basically, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it borders um, New Hampshire and Massachusetts, if that gives you anything in terms of uh, close uh, proximity and all. But uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, during the time that Nathan arrives there, it's home to many taverns. And obviously the people that are going to be frequenting the taverns are the men. Now, that's not to say that women can't work at taverns, but usually if women are working at taverns, um, it's primarily through a marriage that their husbands are you know, the primary tavern keepers, but the women... Um, work work there as a means of um helping out and more often than not um if the husband died and say the husband not only leaves a wife and children the wife needs employment and more often than not the husband if he was smart enough he would leave in his will the um his wife to become uh the head uh tavern keeper of the um of the inn that they uh run that they had uh previously ran so yes, um, Portsmouth, New Hampshire being home to many taverns where young folk like Nathan Hale could associate with other young men. Taverns are also going to be uh, you know, seen as places where people could uh, write letters, including mailing out letters. You know, we do forget that, um, that when someone is traveling from point A to point B, that they want, and if they are in need of uh, receiving mail elsewhere, they will ask um, the uh, express rider to send their mail to the tavern that they're going to, so this way um, they will know that the mail is um, at another um, place, and two, they won't uh, be behind on anything of um, personal importance. 
And also, too, taverns were often known as the places where people could debate the politics of the day with uh, fellow uh, persons and individuals. The political environment by this time is ripe, with mounting tension involving England regarding issues like taxation, or I should say taxation without representation, to Boston, Massachusetts being the center or the focal point of rebellion against the crown, King George III in Parliament. So there's a lot of excitement going on. I mean, to think that Nathan graduated three years after the Boston Massacre incident, I mean, he's he's seeing a lot of seeds being uh, planted for revolution. At the same time, it might just be a matter of a short period of time before, um, before it really uh, before it, things take another level to where um, war itself might be inevitable. But it is fair to say that the middle colonies, along with the southern colonies, in 1773, while yes, um, leaders in those colonies don't like the idea that taxation without representation has happened. They also want to do everything there is possible to, um, to reconciliate with the crown and parliament. Wishful thinking, but at that time I can see why. Was Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a vibrant seaside community? Uh, in matter of fact, folks, it was. Portsmouth, New Hampshire contributed greatly to the trade market comprised of rope makers, blacksmiths, potters, candle makers, pewterers, wig makers, tailors, shoemakers, farmers. You've got the whole nine yards here, folks, but hey, you need to. You, you know, the, um, the seaside community can't be confined to just one profession, but you have to have a little bit of everything. Why? Because if you don't have a little bit of everything, how can business itself flourish? It just can't. For uh, Samuel Hale, uh, Nathan's uncle, was teaching considered to be his true uh, passion? Yes, many of the students whom uh, Samuel taught looked up to him as a mentor, along with a strong disciplinarian, whom knew how to establish proper guidelines behind what was and what wasn't appropriate to tolerate. You know, we should be reminded, folks, that even back in colonial times, it was one thing to have an education. But at the same time, um, I think it's fair to say that um, church, school, and home were all on the same page. Now, I'm not trying to get uh, political or anything, but I do re remember when uh, when I was much younger, um, there was a time when, uh, yes, church, school, and home were still on the same page. I don't know where, when exactly when things started to fall apart, but they did. And it's just unfortunate that that happened. But that's as far as I want to go with that, because like I said, I don't want to make get into anything political to where we lose all sight of things, and then we have to ask ourselves, is it even worth listening to the uh, podcast uh, segment topics anymore? I, I don't want to do that. But it is important to be reminded of the fact that um, when our forefathers came through school, that, um, yes, some of our forefathers may not have been able to have attended a private school. And, um, and it is true. I mean, I have uh, learned that some of our forefathers came from uh, humble uh, backgrounds. Uh, you would be surprised to know that. But the bottom line is that um, for those whom did get um, unique schooling of their time, 
church, school, and home was on the same page, and it is fair to say that if you did uh, cut up in class or if you were disrespectful to the tutor, uh, punishments uh, were to be expected. And if and once those punishments were um, handed down, um, you thought long and hard before ever embarrassing yourself again. Um, Nathan's visit to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, focused on deciding if, in fact, teaching itself was a proper profession to enter. Okay, this is not a leisure visit, folks. This is a, a visit to to basically get some counsel from a family member whom has been teaching for some time. Nathan spent roughly three days in New Hampshire, but not long after returning back to Connecticut did Nathan go about making his uh, profession choice, and that was to be a schoolmaster, classroom schoolmaster. So he went on to become the teacher in uh, Moodus, uh, located outside of New Haven. And was uh, Coventry Nathan's hometown not far from Moodus, where Nathan chose to begin his official teaching career? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, Moodus and Coventry are only 30 miles apart from one another. I don't know if some people in Connecticut would say Moodus, um, but it is spelled M-double-O as in October, D-U-S. So I think it could go either way, Moodus and then Moodus. But yes, I mean, to us, 30 miles may not seem like a long distance, but um, in today's modern um, times, given that there are multiple uh, means for transportation, but I think we should be reminded that even in Nathan Hale's time, uh, from Moodus to Coventry being 30 miles, it is fair to say that regardless of which direction you go, they are two, they could be two different worlds from one another. Nathan took over, believe it or not, folks, a red one-story Cape-style schoolhouse situated along a hill where the Salmon River made its way into the Connecticut River. And by the time Nathan arrived in Tamudas, the town itself was starting to become um, established. How so? Uh, the town's population um, was increasingly growing, so, which is, you know, a good thing. Um, by how much, I don't know, but it was obviously growing in the right direction. And for some of you who are curious to know where exactly Moodus is uh, located, even though, yes, it is 30 miles uh, from uh, Coventry, Moodus um, is located near the Long Island Sound, about 16 miles down the Connecticut River. Now, if you think 16 miles down the Connecticut River, it's not far, which on one hand is not a bad thing. However, if there was one thing that Nathan Hale did have to uh, come to the re realization upon his arrival, was that Moodus is not like other, uh, like some of the other major cities in Connecticut, like say New Haven, Hartford, or uh, Norwich. Moodus is very isolated. As a matter of fact. Um, Nathan even was convinced uh, not long after arriving to Moodus that he was residing on an island. How so? Well, the population just was not the same as it was where he had uh, been residing beforehand. Nathan is more acquainted uh, to being around large groups of people, most notably his large family, as well as former classmates from Yale. 
So he's going to have to think long and hard about, okay, how am I going to adjust here? How can I go about establishing uh, relations with the community? Um, can I make the most of it? I mean, I don't know how long I'm going to stay in Moodus, but I do need to make every effort to um, not only make my presence known, but to um, make a difference in the lives of the students whom I will be teaching. And, so, you know, we all have to start somewhere. Sometimes we may have to start out in a, um, in a rural setting um, versus, say, being in the big city. So, yes, Nathan is more acquainted to being around large groups of people, most notably his large family as well as former classmates from Yale. Moodus can be best described as a country or a rural style, uh, rural area setting. In other words, you know, Moodus is not in the heart of civilization. It's remote. Um, it, you know, sometimes when people say, oh, I live out in the country, um, to me, that would mean, okay, you might be an hour away from the nearest hospital. You might be an hour away from the, um, from the uh, nearest uh, grocery store. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with living out in the country in a rural setting, but then you have to ask yourself, okay, what if I needed um, emergency um, medical care and it was a matter of life and death um, to be an hour away from the nearest hospital? You know, we, we do have to answer those questions. We have to wonder, can that impact our survival? <coughs> but, of course, in colonial times, living in a rural setting, people didn't know any better. They learned to survive, and they learned how to make... They learned how to adapt to their settings, and they learned uh, how to make the most of what they had um, to their um, availability. Of course, you know... A lot of things were different back then, but it's just a reminder of um, of how people uh, managed to survive compared to all the modern day accessories or um, conveniences that we have and oftentimes get taken for granted. So for uh, Nathan Hale, the um, yes, Moodus is best described obviously as a country or a rural area setting. The schoolhouse he would be teaching from was to consist of young children. So young children, folks, we're talking about young boys here, from about 8 to 14 years old. Okay, so to me that is a challenge. Um, nothing wrong with it, but it's going to be a challenge, to say the least. Nathan did manage, folks, to have contact with a small number of people in Moodus early on whom had immense respect for him and his willingness to serve as a tutor for their children. So what does this tell you right here? Moodus may not have been what he envisioned, but it's it still has not deterred him from making the most of what is available and still going out of his way to uh, tutor the students whom have been assigned um, under who have been assigned under his tutelage, and by making a difference in their lives, Nathan has also won the trust and respect of these um, young boys' uh, parents. So, it does pay off because you know, yes, he may not be there say five, five or six years from when he started, 
But if he does go somewhere else, at least he can say that he did make a difference in the lives of the students that he taught. Did Nathan often find himself writing to former Yale classmates as a means of easing loneliness? Well, you know, we do have to be reminded of the fact, folks, that even in colonial times, there were uh, times of loneliness that people did experience. And, you know, yes, when we hear of, you know, people being lonely and or experiencing loneliness, uh, sadness, you know, oftentimes we think of, you know, a sign of depression in today's time. But back then, um, people had enough things to do to keep them occupied to where even if it they may have been lonely, there was still enough to um, keep them going. So as for whether or not uh, did Nathan often find himself writing to former Yale classmates as a means of easing the loneliness, he did. Um, so here's an example of someone who um, made it a priority to contact uh, as many of his former um college friends as possible, whether they were in the Lenonia Society or not, he felt there was a need to uh, reach out to those um, whom he uh, not only befriended, but those whom returned that favor uh, back to him. So many of his letters to fellow Yale alums, it was more than just, hey, um, how are you doing? Where are, where, where are you career-wise since I saw you last at Yale? Many of his uh, letters to fellow Yale alums um, did pertain to uh, personal opinions about the overall state of Britain's subjects, a.k.a. the 13 uh, North American colonies. Because think about it, folks, in 1773, um, tensions are high. And this probably won't be the last time that I mentioned that that phrase um, in this uh, book topic podcast series. But in 1773, tensions are high. And for Nathan, um, he's not going to back down about um, expressing his feelings. Nathan is very passionate about independence, folks. And with independence, he is very passionate about liberty and patriotism. So this is not someone that is going to be persuaded down the road to change his loyalties. I'm sure that you know, somebody could have tried to, but Nathan would have probably looked them straight on in the face and said, hey, look, you're entitled to your own opinions, but you're not going to be able to uh, persuade me to go um, off course and do something that not only will negatively impact me, but will um, but will uh, result in a um, falling out with other friends and family to where I might simply just be ostracized by, by everyone that I knew beforehand. Nathan expressed support behind increasing rebel movement, but yet he had a friend um, by the name of Elihu Marvin, whom was a Yale graduate himself. He Elihu started out as a patriot, but during the late 1770s, and there's a reason why I'm going to mention this part here, but... During the late 1770s, his loyalties changed due to various personal reasons. Well, loyalties do change for various personal reasons, folks. Some people get slighted for all the wrong reasons and want to go over to the other camp, feeling that 
they'll be valued better than they were from the previous um, place of um, than from the pr previous uh, place in terms of where your loyalties had once stood. So this is a um, this is a, a classic example scenario, I should say, where two people whom were you know friends at one time now all of a sudden represent classic examples of two different sides that the colonists uh, are, are either taking right now in 1773 or will eventually take um, two to three years uh, from now between 1775 and 1776. So basically the two different sides, as we know, are uh, number one being loyalty to king and country, which would make you a loyalist, or the other one um, being um, separation from England, and that is a patriot or a rebel. So from brothers to cousins, including friends, think about it, folks, this is not just family, but friends turning on one another. Nobody was exempt from what had already taken place. Well, what had already taken place, folks, where nobody really could have been exempt from? Well, prior to 1773, uh, three years earlier, when the infamous Boston Massacre incident had uh, occurred on March the 5th of 1770, one thing that I have to be constantly reminded of, and I believe many of you uh, learned this when we talked about uh, Ser Serena Zabin's The Boston Massacre of Family History, many of us have to be reminded that uh, not all the British soldiers were bad people. Many of them... Um, when they came to Massachusetts, they actually did not want to be a part of the British military anymore. They um, simply just felt it was no longer um, their calling, and they wanted to blend in with the greater Bostonian society. Um, a handful of um, families in Boston, uh, regardless of their status, did bring it, did allow British troops um, to lodge in their homes. Um, matter of fact, many uh, British soldiers ended up uh, marrying um, many ended up marrying uh, Bostonian uh, women, uh, bachelorettes. Let's put it that way, and started um, a whole new life with um, with those women. Uh, so we have to be reminded that um, not everybody that how do I say it? Just because all the British soldiers came over from say, from England or Ireland over to Massachusetts or, say, from Halifax, Nova Scotia, we have to be reminded that uh, not everybody hated each other the whole time of the occupation. There were many whom got along with the British uh, troops. But what happened in late February of 1770 leading up to uh, March 5th of 1770, just a matter of a few weeks, that pretty much uh, was the uh, first uh, beginnings of a marriage that would um, eventually no longer be able to be um, amended. Um, it would no longer be able to be uh, reconciled. In other words, what happened on the night of March 5th, 1770, really was the ultimate um, tip of the iceberg. The ultimate tip of the iceberg where the camel's um, back was broken, um, the ultimate straw that broke the camel's back to where there would that uh, whatever happened beforehand, whatever peaceful relations there were, now could simply no longer be amended. Nathan himself uh, supported the Sons of Liberty uh, movements where sit-ins took place, resulting in widespread unity for uh, independence from England, 
to the distribution of pamphlets voicing concerns behind repealing taxes deemed unjust and unfair. In other words, in other words, like we could say in today's time, unconstitutional. Uh, what did Nathan Hale come up with game plan wise come December of 1773? Of course, when all of us think of December 1773, we think of uh, the Boston Tea Party incident that occurred around the middle of the month. But we also have to be reminded of the fact that um, that for people like Nathan Hale, every day was a new challenge, but it was a new challenge for the right reasons, not just with what he uh, did in his profession, but also where his country is going because he knows that it could be just a matter of a short period of time before shots are ultimately uh, fired in terms of uh, going to war with the mother uh, country. So as for uh, what Nathan Hale came up with game plan-wise come December of 1773, he decided that it was time to leave Moodus and venture um, somewhere um, where um, it wasn't so isolated, it wasn't so uh, remote. So he uh, decided it was time to leave Moodus and venture to another uh, port town that um, wasn't far from New Haven, but had lots of similarities to New Haven. And, and this uh, port town was called uh, New London. So it turns out that in New London, uh, there is a school there, and the school itself was in need of a schoolmaster. Reverend Joseph Huntington, uh, who married into uh, the Hale family, along with Reverend Joseph Strong, whom was um, Elizabeth's uh, brother, uh, Nathan's uh, late uh, mother, these two men had um, strong connections in New London. Hey, it never hurts to have connections in towns or villages, regardless of their size, but to have connections in New London, given that this is where Nathan is looking into um, relocating, that's a strong um, step in the right direction. Like New Haven, uh, New London itself was a seat or an area of political discontent. I'll mention more of that here shortly. But it could be fair to say that maybe Nathan wants to be somewhere where the action is at stake. Uh, besides the infamous Boston Massacre incident from March 5th of 1770, what other measures of resentment did Britain's subjects in New England express? Now, I, I will tell you all this. Um, I will uh, probably be mentioning um, more information in another podcast segment episode or perhaps in other podcast segment episodes behind um, measures that uh, Parliament enacts um, within a few years after the Boston Massacre incident, as well as what um, takes place uh, following uh, the, the infamous Boston Tea Party incident. So I don't want you all to think that I'm uh, purposely repeating myself, but but by repeating myself, it do, this will go um, hand in hand in uh, making relevant connections. Well, March of 1774 saw Parliament enact a series of acts better known as the Coercive Acts in England, but to the people of the 13 colonies, they were called the Intolerable, a.k.a. Insufferable Acts. A series of five laws were, um, were put into a effect that um, 
that uh, place these five laws under uh, what were called the intolerable acts. The five laws were simply designed to punish the people of Massachusetts following the Boston Tea Party incident from December 16th of 1773. I will give an example of one of the five laws here. Uh, so this way, uh, for some of you whom are not familiar with the Intolerable Acts, I can give you all some uh, basic 101 uh, foundation or understanding. One of the five laws was known as the Quartering Act that was aimed to establish a more permanent method behind housing British troops in America. Housing British troops in America... I think consent is going to be a big issue here. It's one thing to want to enact this legislation, but if if you've got people, you're, if you've got your subjects 3,000 miles across the ocean uh, already expressing discontent over various things, I think Parliament, I mean, yes, Parliament wants to punish the people of Boston. They want to send some message of deterrence, but um, but but forcing people against their own will to house your own troops that to me is going to make things all the more uncomfortable and all the more dangerous. So, but of course, Parliament doesn't see it that way. They want to um, be seen as the institution that um, that operates um, on a, with a tight fist and um, is all about order. They're not going to let 13, um, what do you call it? They're not going to let 13 colonies push them around because by this point in time, King George III he hasn't officially said it yet, but he already knows that the uh, 13 uh, North American colonies um, are acting like ungrateful subjects. So, um, yes, with the Quartering Act, it this would have enabled um, the governors to house uh, soldiers, including uh, feeding them without the need of requiring personal consent from actual homeowners themselves. So it's one thing for lodging, but now we're being asked to provide them food. And we're probably not going to get anything back in return. I mean, you know, when we think of food, folks, in this time, we're thinking about food for our family. And yes, if we're going to have some guests over, that's one thing. But the guests themselves would contribute something, at least, um, in the New England society. But now all of a sudden we're being asked to cook food for soldiers whom we don't know really anything about. How do we know that we can really trust these people? So the people of Boston are very unhappy to where many uh, turn to the Sons of Liberty um, organization where members in that group attacked and burned the home belonging to Thomas Hutchinson, whom was the chief justice of Massachusetts's uh, court system. I can only imagine what that must have been like to have uh, attacked and burned his home. Hutchinson um, left unscathed, left unharmed, I should say, but still, uh, to me, that um, from attacking to burning someone's home in those times would have probably been a good example of uh, domestic terrorism. I mean, we should be reminded that uh, terrorism has been around since the beginning of time, but for those uh, loyalists, the rebels are behaving like terrorists. Yes, they may not like what's happening 3,000 miles across the ocean, but they are basically taking matters into their own hands and um, attacking the um, attacking the chief justice's home, but doing so without his consent. 
Maybe we could say that um, improper consent is feeling its effects on uh, both sides. Moodus uh, might have been a starting point for young Nathan's uh, teaching career, but for Nathan Hale, he needed an environment that was better suited for uh, political uh, division, where the greater population of the people lived like in New London and New Haven. Nathan simply wanted to be in the middle of what was taking place, which meant being able to speak out and stand up for what was right along with what was deemed unjust. Moodus, you know, it's a rural setting. Yes, he could have uh, gotten his word out there, but the problem is that it's not a broad population, not a strong enough population to where uh, people are going to uh, come out in large numbers. By being in New London and New Haven and, say, maybe in uh, Norwich, for example, you're going to get a large uh, base to where you can get um, strong numbers of uh, people whom uh, will support you, and yes, you will run into a fair number of people who won't, but the bottom line is that Nathan wants this. I mean, yes, some people could say, you know, be careful. You don't want to play with a whole lot of fire. You could uh, put your life at stake, but hey, we have to remember, folks, people weren't, they weren't afraid to take a stand, and they knew um, what ramifications lied at stake, but they were willing to um, make the sacrifices by voicing their opposition to uh, Parliament's um, never-ending um, unjust uh, actions, most notably when it came to uh, taxation without uh, representation. As uh, John Adams famously said, um, it was one, it's one, how do I say, he said, I believe he said this, it's one thing to uh, tax an Englishman or an Englishman but if you're going to tax an Englishman, you must get his consent. In other words, if you don't get his consent and you want to tax him, expect consequences, both big and small. What's significant about February 10th, 1774? Uh, the owners uh, behind the schoolhouse in New London voted to approve Nathan Hale as the new head school master. By the time of his arrival uh, into New London, little did Nathan know that what took place in Philadelphia and Boston would shape a new course. Somewhere down the road come the latter part of 1774, and I will mention this in um, hopefully in the next uh, podcast segment episode, that, that something called the uh, First Continental Congress would eventually um, assemble and uh, this onto itself is going to set um, Nathan Hale on an entire new course. Well, it is fair to say, folks, that revolution is already in the air. But perhaps revolution being in the air will take on another uh, degree of um, another degree that perhaps wasn't seen before. You know, I think it's fair to say that. Um, Revolution itself has diff has saw different degrees prior to uh, what would eventually take place on April the 19th of 1775. Well, what I do know is that we've covered everything for this uh, podcast segment episode, and um, I certainly would like to be back on the air with you guys before uh, Christmas Day. If not, it will be um, definitely right after Christmas Day. But thank you all for being ardent listeners, and wherever you all may live in the world, um, have a safe holiday, 
And uh, thank you again for being ardent listeners and for uh, listening to what I have um, been able to share with you all, because without you guys, I don't know where I would be. So I want to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart. You guys um, are um, are the reason why I'm uh, having a lot of success with uh, podcasting. Thank you and uh, stay safe wherever you all may live. <laughs>